Good morning, Fieldstone Church. Wow, okay, we can try that again. Good morning, Fieldstone Church. There it is. Okay, you guys are awake now. I was hoping for a little bit of participation today. I was going to ask you guys some questions because, and I'm sure you guys all know this, this is the very first Sunday morning of 2019. And my name is Carter Hayes. I'm the Student Ministries Director here at Fieldstone. But I have the distinct honor and pleasure of kicking off our biblical church season with you guys this morning. And I'm super excited about that. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you guys about your 2018 really quickly. So with a show of hands, who here made a New Year's resolution last year for 2018? Okay. Two, two people. <laughs> two people made a New Year's, three, four, there we go, we got a couple more. Four people out of all of you guys made a New Year's resolution for 2018. Okay. All right, well then I'll ask you four. Out of you four, how many of you guys kept your, new, like, your resolution and actually fulfilled it? One, and that's why we don't make them. Okay, so I guess it's just me and you then, Brian. Um, I was going to say, for once, I actually made a New Year's resolution last year. I usually don't, because like you, I'm like, I never keep it. It just ends up making me feel bad about myself and kind of guilty later on in the year. But last year, I did for once. And of course, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I actually managed to keep it for once, too. Because if I had failed it, of course, I'd never bring it up and let you know that. But I made one last year, and it was I didn't want to have any sugar for the entire year. No sugar. Well, before you applaud, before you applaud, I gave myself one caveat. I said I could have sugar once a month because otherwise I would just go insane because we all need a little bit of ice cream in our life at some point. So I made it though. I had sugar once a month for an entire year. And so I was like, okay, like I did something for a full year. I'm going to try it again. And so like a lot of Americans, as, as 2018 was ending and 2019 was like just about to roll up on us, I started to think, okay, what can I do for an entire year? What would be like a positive resolution that would like positively like affect my life? And like most Americans, I was thinking, okay, maybe I should lose some weight or gain some weight, maybe save some more money, go on a trip somewhere, hang out with family or find love. And I was thinking about those things and nothing really jumped out at me right off the bat. And so I'm like, okay, like any decision, I'm going to take this one to God. I'm going to be like, Lord, and I prayed this. I said, Lord, what would you have for me? What would you have for me to do in 2019? And something strange happened, like it sometimes can, and it's a little bit weird, where we can pray to God, and there's this weird thing that he can do where he'll respond. And sometimes it's a little scary, too, because he'll respond, and he'll give you his perfect godly answer, and it's not really the easy one that you wanted. And so he comes back to me, and I'm reading my Bible, and I, I come to Mark, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and, and here we find Mark's account of Jesus in his final moments. He's already resurrected, and he's talking with his disciples right before he ascends back to heaven, and we know this is the Great Commission, and this is what he says in Mark. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And I said, well, yeah, God, like that's not groundbreaking, earth-shattering news for my 2019. I'm like, duh, that's what Christians are supposed to do, right? That's kind of the thing they teach you on the first day. It's like, hey, you're a Christian now, go make more. And he's like, okay, well, you know that, but then do it. I was like, oh, okay, I, oh, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because, I mean, I'm a student ministries director, 
I have given my entire life and my soul and every fiber of my being to Jesus, and I've made it my passion, and I want to make it my career and make every single moment of the rest of my life about teaching children, and specifically right now, your children, about who God is. But sometimes, oftentimes, I find that work and friends and school or whatever it is can kind of get in the way and clutter life up. And sometimes I forget to consistently be searching for those non-believers and being intentional in those conversations and telling people for the very first time, hey, this is who my Savior is. And God said, you know what you're supposed to do. You know the mission I've given you. 2019, you need to do it. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us sitting in here this morning, this is something that it's not new. It's something we've heard before. It's something that if you've grown up in church at all, if you've been to a church before, they've told you, hey, tell other people about him. But it's something we can kind of tuck away because we go to church on Sundays. We get our Jesus fixed in. We might even read our Bible once in a while. But when it comes to actually engaging with someone else and putting ourselves out there, it's something we oftentimes forget to do. But like how? That's the number one thing Jesus tells us to do. He has one last sentence to give us before he leaves, earth physically at least. And that's what he charges us with. That's our mission. So how can we forget to do something that important? How can we forget to share the gospel? Well, I think there's three main reasons why people don't share the gospel. Um, Maybe not all of them will apply to you, but at least somebody in this room applies to each one. The first reason, I think, quite possibly, why someone in this room doesn't share the gospel is they simply don't know what it is. And if that's you this morning, I am so excited that you are here because this is something that we want you to know and that God wants you to know. And for the rest of us that knows what the gospel is, it will be a beautiful reminder of who God is, who his son Jesus is, and what he's done for us. So, We're going to do something called the Romans Road. If you've grown up in church at all or ever been to like a student ministries event, it's a very common thing. But what happened is the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, and he laid out very clearly, step by step, the process of becoming a Christian and what the gospel is. So we'll kick that off together this morning in Romans chapter 3, verses 23, saying, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is a verse most of us have probably heard before, or at least a thought, an idea. Like, there's a God out there, and he made a set of rules. He said, this is what is right, and this is what is wrong. Do what's right. And we all generally understand and accept that if you don't do what is right, it is wrong, and that's called sinned. But what Romans tells us is that all have sinned. If you're currently alive on the planet Earth, which I'm hoping that most of us in this room are, then we have sinned. If not today, it was yesterday, and if not yesterday, it'll be tomorrow. None of us escape the fact that we're sinful people. He continues in Romans in chapter 6, verse 23, saying, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he begins to tell us that we're all sinners, but then that there's consequences to the fact that we're sinners. Our God is holy. Our God is perfect. And because of that, he can't have sin in his presence. So when you and I mess up, which we inevitably have or inevitably will, 
we can no longer come to him and have that same relationship and be in his presence. And because of that, the consequence is death. But there's hope for us. It doesn't just end there. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't want to leave us out there outside of his presence with no hope for the future. He created us intimately and loves us passionately, and he wanted to make a way for us to come back into a right standing with him and be able to come to him again and say, Dad. And so he did what he could, and he gave his only begotten son so that whoever of us believes in him should not perish, but actually when we die, have everlasting life with him in heaven forever. And so Jesus came down like we talked about at Christmas. We just went over this a few weeks ago. We celebrated the fact that, yes, Jesus was God, but he humbled himself and served us and sacrificed his power to take on all of our sins and all of the things we've done wrong. And he paid the consequences for that, even though he never did a single thing wrong himself. And then finally, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it tells us how we can get that forgiveness for ourselves. There's two things we have to do. One, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like, it's a, it, Jesus is talking to us. He's like, it's a two-step program. You don't have to call now. You don't have to order again. It's not nine monthly installments of nine ninety nine. There's two things. Say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died to save you from your sins and you will be saved. That is a declaration. That is a promise. There's no if, maybe, but, but I did this that one time. Jesus saves. But in the future, I'm probably going to mess up again. Jesus saves. And that's all there is to it. And it's nothing that you or I can do to deserve that or earn that or get rid of that because it's by the grace of God and it's through faith that we're saved. So it's not of ourselves and we can't boast about it. So I just want to encourage you guys first of all with that this morning where if there is any of you out there that did not know that, please take that to heart. And for those of us that have hopefully heard that before, Still take it to heart because it's something that we should be celebrating daily throughout 2019 and the rest of our lives because it is the only reason we have life and the only reason life is worth living. Can we just praise God for that a moment this morning? If there's anything to clap about or say amen to for the rest of the year, it is that fact. And it is why we're all here. This is our promise, this is our future, and this is our justification. The second reason, I think, that there's people in this room who don't share the gospel or this good news with their friends and with their family and with everybody else out there is that we may know that we're supposed to, we may know what the gospel is, but some of us simply haven't decided whether we 100% believe it or not. Let's look together in Revelation Chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, and it says this. I know your deeds, says the Lord, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. 
So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. It's strong language, but essentially what Jesus is saying in this passage through John is that you cannot be a proper witness for God unless you are 100% in. You need to start your mission of spreading the gospel once you're 100% in, and you have to just make a choice. I also love the way the prophet Elijah at the other end of the Bible says this, and he handles the people of Israel in a very abrupt way. They keep flip-flopping back and forth. One day they'll be following the Lord, and the next day they'll be worshiping idols with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Then they'll go right back to the Lord and say, we love you, but we also love our idols. And they're just back and forth, hopping the fence each way. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21, Elijah just calls it all to a head on Mount Carmel. And the Bible says this, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, it's kind of weird for a prophet of God to tell someone, hey, if you think this person's God, follow him. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But right after that statement, Elijah challenges King Ahab and all the prophets of Baal to a challenge, to a contest. The first ever, like, whose God is real and bigger? And it's a WWE grudge match. A short one, though. We don't have time to go into the full story this morning, but essentially, Elijah and God smash Baal because Baal isn't real and Baal doesn't show up, but God shows up in a big way in front of all the people, in front of all the prophets, in front of all of Israel, and Israel has to stand in awe and say, yes, we believe that God is real. God is greater. But essentially, Elijah's point was this. You have to decide. At some point or another, sooner the better, you have to make a choice, and you have to pick a side, and you have to do it quickly. We all know there's lots of lost souls out there to be one for the Lord, but the longer you and I wait to go all in for the gospel, the more souls that die every day without knowing that truth. And while it is the truth, it doesn't do them any good unless they're told. Don't get me wrong. The Bible is not saying that you can't have questions. The Bible isn't saying that you can't have any doubts whatsoever. The truth is, you're always going to have some questions that won't get answered until we're standing face-to-face with God and we can ask them ourselves. I, I recently heard Louis Giglio say this, and I just loved the way he put it. God is not the least bit intimidated by your questions. He's just not. There is no question that you can come up with, no matter how smart we think we are, that God has not addressed or will not address at some point. There is no question or doubt that you or I could have that could in any way put this to shame. The more we dig in Israel, the more we find and the more we discover and the more we learn about our universe, the more it supports Christ. So investigate. Go digging for your, your answers. Look But take your doubts to God. Don't hold them inside. Don't let them fester. Take your doubts to the foot of the cross along with everything else. Fall at the the feet of Jesus just like the young possessed boy's father did in Mark chapter 9. 
who came up to Jesus and just said, Jesus, if you are God, if you can do anything, please save him. And Jesus just says, whoa, 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 whoa. If I can do anything, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaims, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And Jesus heals his son. So if you're one of those people here this morning that know the gospel and you know that you're supposed to be sharing it, but you still have doubts and questions and that are kind of stopping you from believing 100% in the gospel and in who the, like, Jesus is and his saving power, I want to tell you that it's okay. It's okay to start with questions. It's okay to start with doubts, but you can't stay there. Ask people those questions, but take your doubts to the cross because Jesus is not scared of them, and he wants you to bring your doubts with you and lay them down along with your sin and along with your shame to be washed away by the blood of Jesus. Trust me when I say that you're going to have questions for the rest of your life. I guarantee you any single person that has studied the Bible and studied God their entire lives will always have questions, whether it's about the dinosaurs or about something else. You're always going to have questions. I found myself, actually, this summer having questions way too often. In fact, one of the months from this summer was one of the most difficult I've had in years, and one of the most difficult months that I can even remember. And it started about the second week of July through the first, uh, first or second week of August. Um, I'd been interning at a church, and I'd spent the entire summer planning this mission trip to the island of Haiti and the country of Haiti. And we were taking about 60 high school students with us along with some leaders, and it's a little bit stressful having that many people through an airport without their parents, and their parents are trusting you to kind of make sure everything goes well. And then two weeks before we're supposed to leave, the Haitian government decides to up their oil and their gas prices by 40% in just an hour. They're just like, hey, so you guys know, gas is way more expensive now. And I don't know if you know anything about Haiti, but they don't have the infrastructure or the economy to deal with anything like that. And so they revolted and they rioted, leading to deaths and burning buildings and all the things you'd expect from a fun riot. And so we're standing there now with the government having canceled flights to and from Haiti and with us having no idea whether we should go and take our students or whether we're even allowed to go legally, and we have no idea what to do. Then, six days before we fly out to Haiti, um, at one of our events, I managed to snap my toe in half and have it almost ripped completely off with the bone hanging out, which is very fun. And as a matter of fact, two days before that, I had paid a couple hundred dollars and signed up for the Detroit Marathon. So I'm lying in the hospital bed and asking God, why? What is going on? Just two weeks after that, on August 6th, I wake up to a frantic phone call from one of my fellow leaders and find out that in the night, one of my freshman boys who I had had in my small group all summer died. And there's nothing that prepares you for those phone calls. There's just not. And so 
it was a thing after a thing on the heels of another, and I found myself crying out to God and going, God, I know you're real, but I can't feel you right now. God, I know with every fiber in my soul that you are good, but then why? How can these things turn out for your glory? And this brings us to our third and final reason why some of us in here today still aren't sharing the gospel. We know we're supposed to. We know what the gospel is. And a lot of us have even bought in 100%, even though we do have questions sometimes. But we're still left asking, how will we ever be able to convince someone else that our God is real when sometimes we can't even feel him? How can we tell others that our God is always good when we don't have all the answers? To answer this, we need to return to Scripture, where God tells us the same thing over and over and over. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Moving over to Psalm chapter 71, verses 15 through 18. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even in my old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And one more, all the way in the back of the book, Revelation, chapter 12, verse 11. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to even shrink from death. Whenever I talk to someone new about the gospel, they don't have to ask me twice whether I think God is real. I actually tell them in my explanation of how I know God is real about one of the most difficult months of my life, the month from this past summer. Because God gave us the courage and opened up the, the flights and opened up the hearts of the Haitian people and stopped the riots just in time for us to go down. And we made that decision just a week before we were supposed to fly out. And because of the turmoil that was going on in that country, the Holy Spirit softened their hearts and made them receptive and made them crave the knowledge of who Jesus was. And over a hundred Haitian children accepted him as their Lord and Savior that week. Amen. Because God granted my doctors the wisdom, they said they were absolutely shocked that the surgery went as well as it did when they recapped my toe. And because God does not make accidents happen, and I do not believe in coincidences, the young doctor 
just out of med school that performed the surgery on my toe told me three days before my flight was supposed to leave that she was giving me permission to go because when she was doing her residency, she had gone down to Port-au-Prince, the very city I was going on my mission trip to, and started Hades only in very first podiatry office. I don't believe in accidents. I believe that God wanted me there on that trip and that God used us and that God works all things out for his glory, whether we see it at the time or not. And finally, because at the end of that month, of the ups and the downs, and despite the heartache and heartbreak of losing one of my young friends too soon, and a young man who had just found himself in his faith, God used his life and his story and the very words that he himself had written on that trip to witness and evangelize to over 500 people at his funeral. People don't have to ask me twice if I think God is real or not. Although I gave my life to Christ over 18 years ago, I continue to see him at work every single day. And I promise you, and more than that, God promises you that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will see him at work in your life as well. And if you haven't seen him, then you're not looking hard enough because he is there and he is moving in each and every one of your stories. Your testimony is powerful. Jesus never once says that you and I have to be perfect and have all the answers to witness to someone else. We don't have to be these brilliant apologists that can argue with the staunchest atheists and convince them by the stars and science that their head knowledge has to confirm that Jesus is real. It never says we have to do that. What the Bible says, what God calls us to do as he leaves the earth is this. It is Jesus who saves. And it is his gift to us with no work done on our part so that we could ever boast. And I think it's almost prideful and arrogant on ourselves when we get nervous, like, oh no, I need to do the right thing in order to save someone else's soul. And there's nothing you and I can do to save someone else's soul. It's all the Spirit, and it's all Jesus. It is a free gift from God that we receive by faith. All Jesus requires you and I to do is to believe and then to obey and take his message to the world and then to use our testimony, our stories that he has given each of us with a purpose as evidence of God's devotion and continued work in our lives showing the world our faith in Christ's redemption. Pray with me. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus down to this earth as a servant, who although he did no wrong ever in his life, took the consequences of all of our sins allowing us to be in your presence again. We thank you for the stories that you've given each and every one of us. Please help us to be more vigilant in looking for the ways that you are working actively in our lives even today. 
Help us to be bold in 2019 and not just make a resolution for the year, but to make a resolution for you, for our lives, that we will continue to proclaim your name all around the world. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.